It's time for another retro throwback sidetrack bonus episode of The Hive Jive. This bonus episode, titled Testy Bees, Shady Neighbors, and Queen Cells, originally aired on Patreon on June 18th, 2020. Enjoy. Hey, all you Hive Jive junkies out there, it's that time again. Join our hosts, John Swan and Ken Milam, for another bonus edition of The Hive Jive. Uh, recording is on, and I can hear you through the phone, so I think we're good to go. I hope. Okay, <laughs> now we'll see what happens. That's right, that's how it goes, we'll see what happens. Um, so, these, uh, well, it's hot, first off, but these removals, man, we we keep, it, it never fails. So, I think part of it is uh, we're, I don't know, maybe out of practice because of the whole quarantine and uh, stay-at-home restrictions and we didn't end up doing anything. Usually we would start slowly kind of progressing in February and March and April and, um, and you know, and then by May we're already to our minimum one a day, seven days a week kind of scenario. But the this year we came out of winter and then right after that we had the whole coronavirus thing start. And so we didn't really have that buildup in February, March, April, May kind of thing. So we went from none at all for what felt like six, seven months. Um, well, let's see. We did, yeah, eight months, actually. We went a solid eight months, basically, from last winter to now before actually getting to do, really get going with the removal. So I think we're out of shape and out of practice. <laughs> but Do y'all get an eviction notice before you go and take those bees out? <laughs> Not for the bees, no. But we do give notices to the neighbors. Oh, okay. And uh, we we did run into a little bit of a situation, sort of. I mean, not not it it was not a situation, but it, it had the feeling that somebody was trying to make it one. Um, the removal that we did yesterday was a colony of bees underneath an old rotted shed, and they were highly aggressive. They had stung the neighbor's lawn crew, and basically the guy that was mowing in the backyard on the opposite property beside them started on the far side of the property. He mowed one strip down the side, one strip straight across the back, and they he was coming towards the colony, which is on the other property, kind of in the corner in the shed. And he was a good minimum 20 foot from the colony when they attacked him, <laughs> which was still a good 10 foot from the property line. So they he was he was a ways away, but he had a push mower and they came out from underneath that shed in the other property across the property line and another 10 foot over to him. So, like I said, it was about a 20 foot distance and uh and nailed him and chased him out of the yard and that was all he did you could see that giant l one stripe down the side one stripe across the back and then just stops um and the the lady next door she wanted us to check her property and make sure that there were not any bees there too just in case and so we did and she was laughing she goes yep you can see where they got him because it just quits <laughs> like there there was no no nothing he did come back later that evening and got his mower and then informed them he would not be back again until the the bees were officially gone but the neighbors behind them, though, they, uh, they're they interesting. And 
when we first got there and were getting set up, I could see over the fence because that the yard we were in was a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. And so I was almost eye level with the, the top of the fence and could see out into their backyard. And I could see a lady back there with a small dog walking around. And I was like, okay, well, I need to go warn them because this, this shed is like only two foot from their fence that divides the front property from the back property. And again, the bees are highly aggressive. They had stung, I think, four people before we ever got there to get anything done with them. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to walk around to the other side of the block so I can go knock on this door and, and talk to these people. And I did. And a gentleman opened up the door and I explained to him who I was and what we were getting ready to do. And that, uh, you know, there were already very angry bees there and we were going to be taking them out and it was for everybody's best interest and safety that they stay out of the backyard and i said and i know i saw you know a lady back there a minute ago with the small dog and he goes oh no no no, don't worry about it we'll keep the dogs inside everybody will stay inside it's all good you know i was like all right cool and he's like well thanks for letting me know i walked back around the corner it wasn't even 10 minutes a larger dog was in the backyard at the fence right there by where we were at barking at us (laughs) and then at least once an hour for the next six hours, at least one person and one dog was in the backyard at some point, just doing whatever, and the dogs would come right up to the fence and bark. And I started kind of getting the impression that, and it, it could have just been me, but you know, you can't trust anybody these days, but I started getting the impression that it was almost on purpose, like they wanted something to happen so they could cause a ruckus. Mm-hmm. And I... Went and when we were done, I was talking to the homeowner there that had actually contracted with us and called us out. And, you know, I made a comment about it and she goes, oh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. They're a piece of work. And I was like, oh, really? And she said, yeah. Um, she said originally it was just like the the mother and father who were elderly that lived there. And then the kids moved in and potentially the grandkids moved in because there's eight cars at that house. And she said that. Ever since they all moved in, they have filed complaints with the city. They have turned her in to the code department for things like one of her tree limbs hanging too low, um, her grass not being the proper height, like all kinds of just really crappy people things to do. And the funny thing is I went to their front yard and knocked on their door. They have way too many freaking vehicles. There was four vehicles in the driveway and another four along the edges of the street. The front of their house looked like shit. Like they weren't no, you know, they they weren't necessarily following their own rules that they wanted to turn her in on. Um, their grass needed mowed out front. The, again, it was just trashy. It was a trash heap. And her house it, it's, it was not the greatest neighborhood, and her house was literally the prettiest house in the prettiest yard there. But yet, here you got these people behind her that are constantly turning her in for stuff. And they they have harassed her lawn man, um, screaming and yelling at him, claiming that when he was blowing off the sidewalk, he was blowing all the, the crap into their yard and, like, all this other stuff. So, um so I was like, wow, that might have been a good instinct. Um, they really may have been the type of people that, even though I warned them, Mm-hmm. They they still, you know, if something would have happened and one of the dogs would have gotten nailed and, and gotten potentially hurt from the bees, it would have then been a situation where they would have tried to sue or cause a, you know, cause a scene. And uh, it, it's just one of those is like sometimes people just people can be a piece of work. 
Um, but speaking of the work, though, that, that was the whole point of that story is normally we can get most jobs done. Our average is three hours, um, four, three to four, four if it's a little bit longer. But here recently they have been four to six hours. And part of it is circumstance, I think. But I, I do like to joke that it's uh, we're out of practice and out of shape. But um, but this one was it, it. Man, we had it opened up pretty quickly. And then it was the getting it done and putting it all back together that was the problem because the shed was so old and rotten mm-hmm. that as we were taking it up, pieces of the floor literally just disintegrated. And so we had to, you know, get new material and do other stuff. And normally we don't do repair work, but it is if it's a shed, we will because it doesn't have any utilities running to it. Right. Um, If it's a if it's part of a dwelling, we won't touch it. We'll recommend that they get a licensed contractor to come out and do that. But this was just an old shed out there. But but yeah, so I mean, we ended up being there forever and we had to move all the stuff that was in the shed over the area that we needed to work out. And then do the work and then figure out how to get it repaired because the floor was falling apart. One of the floor joists was actually cracked, broken, and rotted in three different spaces. Um, there was termite damage. There was actually termites in there when we pulled up some of the stuff. So it was just uh, it was an interesting situation. And them bees, man, they were mean. Oh, my goodness, they were mean. Um, they were still fighting like even whenever I got out to the removal yard, uh, there was a few of them that were kind of clinging to the top of the screen for the containment unit. And as soon as the truck stopped moving and I got out of the truck, they were already around there trying to peg me in the head. And I was like, good grief. Um, so that that's why we have the removal yard that's way far away from anybody and anything. Because when you run into bees like that, you don't want them on the farm where they could go potentially hurt somebody or in town or anything like that. So, but yeah, they're... Uh, there they were they were interesting yeah <laughs> and then and then you get uh then they swarm and then they they take that all of those genetics and have another place and they build a house or, or <laughs> start a colony and they're mean because we already found that out about when we uh, split that uh, rock hive up at the house those were some mean bees, and they just got meaner. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you, I mean, if you think about it, the 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 queen is the one that is propelling that genetic trait. You know, she's the one that's laying all the eggs and controlling those genetics. And so, if you take the queen, if she goes anywhere, then that exact colony and pattern and genetic makeup is going to persist. Um, so if you don't requeen them when they're like this, and that's what the, the trajectory for this one will be, um, we'll go through like when they're, they're in their hive, we give them a few days to go through and kind of settle down and start to repair and spread out. And then we'll go through and open it up again. We'll find the queen again and kill her. And then we'll requeen the colony with a queen that we know the genetics of, and then give it its six week time to go through and slowly kind of recycle through. But The other thing that people don't necessarily think of is that every single one of the drones in that colony are still going to be leaving every single day to go find drone congregation areas to look for virgin queens to mate with. And if they succeed, then they are going to impart a portion of those nasty genetics to whatever queen they mate with. And that's how even if you requeen the colony – 
for that time period, while those other drones that were there prior from the old queen are still alive and still active, Mm -hmm. they are still going to be potentially spreading parts of those genetics to other colonies. So it, it can actually have a further reach than what we necessarily always think of. We just think about the queen. We don't really think about the other half of the reproductive cycle. And, you know, that's what those drones do is they spread their queen's genetics to other colonies. And consequently, if you have, if you get queens from around here in Texas by these queens, most likely they're going to be, because they ain't no way they don't, they put out a whole pile of Corniolans or, or Italian drones, probably they're going to be redheaded mutts that they're breeding with. Well, I say that. Yes, we do have some queen breeders here who have a ton of bees and they do spread them around and they do try to flood the drone congregation area. But what that does, though, is it is just trying to maximize the genetics that you want to have in there. But you can in no way completely control what is in that drone congregation area because there could be a feral colony right there on your property. Say you have 100 acres of land. There could be a colony hiding in an old rotted tree Mm -hmm. or in some container that's half buried that you don't ever see because the weeds have grown up around it, you know, and they could be a feral colony that could potentially have genetics that are less desirable than what you're trying to do. And those drones will still be mixed in with your drone congregation area. So even if it is a small percentage, you know, it could be 10 percent or less, but you cannot actually 100 percent guarantee that your drones are or your all of your bees that are you're mating with are your bees and a specific genetics because you don't really know that. And the the only way that you can 100 percent guarantee it is if you're doing artificial insemination. Mm-hmm. If you're artificially inseminating the queens with genetics from drones that you have handpicked and hand harvested, then, yes, you can say this queen is 100 percent this because that's all she got. Um, but in nature, if you're out there, it doesn't matter where you're at. The only way that you can guarantee that there's not going to be the slightest fraction of Africanized genetics in your bees is if you live in a region where there are zero Africanized genetics. So if you get them from Hawaii, there's not going to be any Africanized genetics. If you get them where they're bred from a northern state, there's not going to be any Africanized genetics. But the kicker to that, though, is... The person that is breeding the bees in the northern states, it needs to be a line that the succession of that line has always been in the northern states. Mm -hmm. Because if they buy their breeder queen stock from the southern states, then their breeder queen stock could have a fraction of Africanized genetics in it. So it's all about where they came from, what their lineage is, you know, how often you've been doing it. And just because a bee has Africanized genetics in it does not mean the bee is going to be evil. Um, There's a lot of great traits that the Africanized bees do have that lend to cleanliness and hygienic behavior and, and and honey storage and some of these other things that are actually desirable. It's just that defensive temperament and attitude and behavior that we don't like. Um, you know, the fact that they are actively guarding their colony to the point where they're coming out and looking for somebody to sting as opposed to reacting when something messes with the colony it's, itself. So 
Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, so you can go through and, and you can have a colony that could have Africanized genetics and they can still be the sweetest colony in the world and they can still be an amazing colony. So it, it doesn't always mean that it's a bad thing. But the reality of it is there are a lot more of those genetics, especially in the southern states, than people like to acknowledge or admit. And, you know, they anybody will say anything for marketing purposes, you know, um, but whether or not it is completely true, you don't know. And, and in reality, the only way to ever truly know is to send samples of the bees off to some of the different bee labs. Um, there's a bee lab in Alabama that does genetic testing and you can send the bees off and they will go through and they will dissect them and do the measurements under the microscope and do DNA testing on them. And then they can come back and say, yep, this has Apis mellifera scutellata DNA in it, which means it, it does have Africanized genetics or nope, we didn't find any traces whatsoever. This is just a regular old Italian honeybee, you know, or, or whatever. So, um, but yeah, that's uh, a... <laughs> That's a really long – this actually did end up having a theme and I didn't really anticipate to start off with a theme. But, you know, we started with mean bees from a removal and, and you know, <laughs> just went from there. Our bees, you know, now, you know, I'm one of these guys that, okay, we can buy this bee, this bee, this bee. Now we've got scrats, we got Italians, we've got carniolans. Uh, Max is wanting to order uh, what the – we got three swarms now. He won't. He's now. He says, "Dad, we're going to order these. Are they Michigan or Minnesota hygienics queens?" No, it's still a Varroa sensitive hygienic. It's a VSHB, but they're they're like, oh, but these are exclusively from, like you said, Michigan or Minnesota. I think it's Minnesota. Um, and so they're they're calling it a Minnesota hygienic bee uh, because that's where they've been working on that specific line. But it's still a varroa sensitive hygienic bee you know it's it's just it has more hygienic behavior it has more grooming uncapping and removing of brood um, and grooming of other bees that go through and help detach mites and remove mites from the colony and whatnot but we've had that discussion before where we did talk about you know the vsh and and they are they do a better job but it does not mean that they eradicate mites they do not remove all mites from the colony you know, um, they might be able to cohabitate with them or deal with them a little bit better, but it is not a perfect solution. It is just another step in IPM, which is integrated pest management. Um, having bees that have genetic behaviors and that are more hygienic and cleanly um, definitely helps with that whole progression. So it'll be fun, though, for you guys to, to get them and see and kind of watch and see what they do. Um, one of the things to watch for is... How do they behave when they see a, a hive beetle in the hive, um, which all of your colonies should when you open them up. If, uh, if the light hits them and there's a hive beetle, you should see the colony take off after the hive beetle and try to grab it. Um, you know, and do they do a lot of cleanliness behavior? Do you find mites that are down on the bottom if you have like a, a screen bottom with an insert and you pull the insert out? Do you find mites on it that have been bitten that are like torn and or have their legs removed or anything like that? Um, and then the other part would be when you're looking at the brood, do you find brood that is uncapped or are they actively removing brood? Because that's also a hygienic behavior. And there's a lot of bees that have that tendency to it. What they've done is they've selected for that, you know, just like we select for nice gentle bees, they're selecting for bees that have these traits for the, the hygienic behavior. So, um, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be cool for you guys to go through and, and start paying attention. Um, 
I was going to ask if you have, but instead I'm just going to say you should uh, go mark your colonies like we talked about. Get that piece of tape and put it on the front of them with a black marker and write on there, Russian, uh, Russian Carniolan hybrid, Carniolan, uh, you know, redheaded mutt, um, your scrats, and then put in there the VSH or the MSH or whatever they end up in, happening to be. And uh, get those get those all lined out. So then you can go through, and when you're doing your inspection, you can you can make a note, and you can look at the front, and you can say, okay, this one's a Russian hive, and this is what they look like right now. And this one over here is a Carniolan, and this is what they look like right now. And this one over here is my Varroa-sensitive hive, and this is what it looks like right now. And then you can have a, a really good compare and contrast in there to see what is truly going on. Yep. I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. The Rock Hive, when they raised their new queen, she was meaner than the first queen, than the original. Uh, that that next one, in fact, that's when Max decided, yeah, these are being requeened, and he requeened that one to the 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 second hive to a Carniolan because that's the only queen we could get real quick, and then the others are scrats. The original queen she got taken out and she got replaced with a scratch by the way that scratch is a layer i mean wow that's all i can say and but now we have another scratch and another hive she's not a good layer in fact we took her out the other day and replaced it with another one so yeah we'll find well out. and you you have uh some of those new world carniolans that you've said the same thing about man they're a layer they're just going to town yeah so the the commonality there is not the genetics of the bee. The commonality of that is it is a brand new young queen that was fully mated. Yep. Yeah. So that in that case, that doesn't have anything to do with the genetics of them because you you know you see that yourself. Like you just said, this one scrat is doing awesome. This scrat is not, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing. You know, they have their days, they have their attitudes, they have their their behaviors. Um, and so every colony, even if they're all exactly the same genetics, every single colony has its own personality and has its own disposition. And you you commented on the the rock hive. Uh, more than likely, when you did the the split and the rock hive raised its own queen, you probably didn't even make it long enough for her offspring to be old enough to be a forager or guard to let you know whether or not she actually was meaner or not. The colony was probably just in a bad mood because it takes from the day that she starts laying eggs, it's 21 days before that egg emerges. And it's a minimum of six weeks before that first strain of bees from the new genetics graduates to become foragers. And that's when you start to see... That uh, that actual change happened inside there. Pause. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I hit my phone and then it. Uh, I lost you from the headset again. So let's see if we can get this reconnected. Sorry. No, the 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 phone has the. It has to have an adapter to go to the new phone because they don't have audio plugs anymore. And I think this adapter has like a short in it or something. And so if I bump it, um, like if I touch the phone at all, basically then I lose connection to the headset and then you can't hear me through the headset mic. So that's what happened. Um, but anyhow, you know, they, they've got to go through that whole process where they actually takes them a full six weeks before that first generation starts coming out to be old enough to be a forager. And that's kind of that whole progression that you have to have before you truly see the change in the colony. So 
if you do a split from a colony and you requeen them and she's been in the colony for two weeks, you and you say, man, that she's even worse than the other one. You don't actually know because none of her brood have even hatched, let alone gotten old enough to, to become a forager. So um, that's just a little thing to, to put out there for people to kind of go through and and help them out. Um, yeah. I have also figured out that, uh, and I don't know why, but the the concept of swarm cells versus emergency or queen cells and where they're located is starting to become a uh, personal battle for me for some reason. And I think it's because in the books, and I've said this numerous times, but I, I had another... Um, anyhow, but the... the uh, you know, when you read the books and you do all the education, it just makes it very black and white. A swarm cell is on the peripheral of the frame. A emergency or supersedure cell is in the middle of the frame. And that's actually BS because the bees don't look at it as, hey, this is a frame. I'm supposed to put it here or here. They don't do that. And in nature, they don't have frames. And as you have probably well seen, they don't always make the frame perfectly flush and even. There'll be sections they don't draw out. They'll draw out comb at a weird angle. They'll make a curve in the middle of it. You know, they, they're supposed to be drawing out all worker brood because that's the imprint of the foundation underneath it. But yet they'll build up a fat section and they'll make drone brood anyway. You know, like they, they do what they need to do. And in part of that, to the bee, they will go through and they will make queen cups. And a queen cup is that it looks like the top of an acorn. It's a little bell-shaped cell that faces straight down, and it it's just there. And they do them like practice all the time. And when you're doing your management, you need to be very, very, very diligent about looking for these. Not because you need to remove them, but I want you to know where they're at. And I want you to be familiar with your colony. So when you're going through and you're looking at your frame or your comb or your bar or whatever you happen to be using... When you're looking at the comb and you see one of these cups that's facing down and there's nothing in it, that's a queen cup. That's what that is. And pay attention to where it's at and make a mental note or in your bee journal, make a note. There is a queen cup in the top center section or in the direct middle of frame four. Because later, if they turn around and they decide that they want to swarm, that queen cup is going to become a swarm cell. But by default, because of the way that people have been educated on this, immediately somebody, you, you'll get these responses. I've got five swarm cells and two emergency cells. No, you don't. You got seven swarm cells because those two emergency cells are queen cups that have always been present, but you've not paid attention to them. And then when they turn them into an actual queen cup, then all of a sudden you're like, or a queen cell, then you're like, oh no, it's a swarm cell because it's in, or it's a, you know, it's an emergency cell because it's in the middle, but it's not. Um, but I had that gentleman send me a picture yesterday and he said, I've got this emergency cell that they started after this happened and this happened. And I was like, that's not an emergency cell. It's a swarm cell. Look at it. If in, in, in this situation, when they do this, when they build those little bells, they're always on a ledge or an edge. And that's why you find them mostly along the peripheral on the bottom edges of the frames or on the bottom edges of the comb. But if the comb has a divot, a dent, a curve, a spike, a bump, those things are edges. And they will make, and sometimes they are very subtle, 
they will make those little bell queen cups in those edges in the middle of your comb. And when they do it, the comb curves or is already made, right? Because so to make a true emergency cell, you will will pretend like you do have that perfect piece of flat comb, right? They go and they find a cell that already has an egg and developing larva in it and that is the right age and they start morphing that worker cell into a queen cell. And to do that, they've got to backfill that royal jelly in there to the point where it actually pushes the larva up and out. And then they curve, they widen the opening and they curve it and they face it down and they draw it straight down. Sometimes it comes out at an odd angle. So if you've got a queen cell that's sticking out of your comb and all the comb is flush and even and there's this random queen cell sticking at a weird angle out the front of it or is sticking down, but it's fused to the combs around it. Mm -hmm. That is a supersedure cell or an emergency cell because the comb around it was in place prior and the queen cell was then built on top of it. And as they were building it on top, they fused it to it. But if you show me a queen cell and it's in the middle of a piece of comb and the comb bows and bends around it and you can clearly see the cells behind and under the queen cell, that queen cell was a queen cup that existed before. It wasn't an emergency one. It was a queen cup because they had already built and provided the space that would future be needed in the future, potentially, if they turn it into a queen cell. And so and in his image, you've got this. There was an indention where the comb curved inward. And at the top of that curve, they had the little bell cup. And so when they decided to go through their swarm tendencies and they started making swarm cells, they laid in that bell cup they drew it out and that thing faces straight down perfectly and you could take a piece of string and run it all the way up behind it and not not separate anything because it didn't fuse to the comb to the i can't talk because it didn't fuse to the comb behind it because it was an actual swarm cell so it's just one of those things but it it like in the greater scheme of things it doesn't matter if there's a queen cell in your colony they are Raising a new queen. Like, that's the simplest 100% truth. Now, why they're raising a new queen, that has to be determined by what type of cell is it. But if you do see the queen cells, we've mentioned this before, go in there and find your queen. That's step one. Before you do anything, find your queen. Does she still exist? If it truly is an emergency or supersedure cell, there's if it's a supersedure cell, there's only going to be like one, maybe two. But it's usually just one. An emergency cell... There could be, you know, four or five of them. Swarm cells, there could be anywhere from five to 25. It depends on just how fanatic your colony got at it. Um, you know, but but then knowing why they're there, it does help you understand, are they trying to split? Is there something wrong with my queen? Do they not like her? Um, but it is not as black and white as, well, it's in the middle, so it must be this. You, you've got to look at it from the bee's perspective, not from our dumbed down human perspective. Yeah. Anyhow, I'll climb off that soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, okay, so John's on a soapbox. I got to check a queen cell tomorrow. Yeah? Yeah, the cage that I put in there with the scratch in it. That ain't a queen cell. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they ate the candy plug out and uh, she's in there working our rear end off and uh, we'll find out tomorrow. Yeah, that was in the top bar, right? Yep, that was in the top bar. Yeah. 
Yep. Hopefully she gets in there and uh, the colony manages to rebound. Um, obviously, the first sign would be a, a ton of larvae. You're not going to see that tomorrow. You might see eggs tomorrow, but um, tomorrow would just be, is she out of the cage and is she still alive? Yep. And then uh, in a week, you know, you look back in there and you see a ton of eggs and larvae and a little bit of capped brood starting, then that's good. You know, then you know she's going to town and the population will eventually rebound. But, yeah, there ain't, ain't nothing going to happen with that top bar this year. There will be no honey harvest probably or anything from no, it because no. there hasn't been any new bees in there to draw out the comb and the wax and, and uh, you know, help the colony expand to where you could have the additional to have a honey harvest. So, unfortunately... Yep. Oh, we'll do what we got to do. And uh, I, I guess, have I told that we I made uh, new top bars out of two-by lumber? You were, We've been talking about it. I made some out of two-by rough-cut cedar two-by. Yeah, you made the entire top bar hive out of that and then uh, made the bars for the top out of the scraps of it, too. Yep. So we got uh, – I'll be putting uh, the the – Rescue, I did, or the the hive that we took out of the water meter box, we changed her to one of the New World Corneolans, and we'll be putting that one in there here pretty quick. So, yep, so that's where I'm at. I'm fixing, well, there you I'm go. fixing to have four top bars here pretty quick. Are you going to move the the one removal that's in the top bar into a full size colony? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to put it into a uh, uh, the white one. That it the, the the one that's made out of two by. It's a little too narrow for it because we had some rescue frames in there, and I'd have to cut recut it. So I'm just going to put it in the white top bar that I've got. That is will take take it, and then I'll just uh, put a new. Uh, new bunch and uh i was gonna put the bunch that we was gonna get out of uh out of oh i know where i can go get a a, a colony and get it in there real quick okay I'll, I'll shut up and we'll talk about it next time well what you can do is take have max um help you well you can you can do it you could you've got plenty of uh building skills but make a board like measure your inner dimensions of the, the the new top bar that's the two by from the red cedar stuff. Um, measure it out and then cut you a board that is the exact shape of the inside of that hive that you can set down in there Traveling and it board. fits perfect. perfect. Yes, but not for that purpose. Then take that board with you to go do your removals. And when you pull the comb out, you lay the comb on that board and you use it as a guide to cut the shape that you need the comb to be and then hook it to your rescue bar and make sure that you've got the wire not long, make it narrow in the center, um, hook it to your rescue bar, put it into your top bar nuke that you use to do the removals with, but the comb will already be cut to the shape that you need it to be at. Then you go through and you do your removal, you put them into that colony, you get them all in there, you get all the bees trapped, And then what you do is when you come home, you either leave them locked in the top bar for that night Mm -hmm. or you immediately come home and go straight to the big top bar. Either way, either that night or the next morning before you've ever opened it up and ever let them fly at all, you then have it all set up at the new top bar. 
open up that small one and just start putting the frames exactly how you have them in the other one into the big top bar. Dump all the bees in there, put the rest of the bars in place, turn the queen excluder on the front to queen exclude and walk away. And then you're good because that's that's how we do it. We don't leave them in the top bar container that we do the removal from. That's just a transport box so we can move them from place to place without carrying a four foot hive. Um, and then as soon as we get to the place, we put them into their permanent hive, you know, and if we're not going to do it right then, then we leave them closed up for the night and the next morning we'll put them in their permanent hive. That way they don't, they don't have the opportunity to fly and orient and do all this stuff that then you're going to have to have additional steps later to try to go and undo. Um, just take them straight to that new hive and put them in there. But if you use that board as a template, then every time you go out and you do a removal and you're cutting raw comb that you're going to want to fit on a bar you'll know that you've cut it to the dimensions of that narrow hive. And then you can have another one for your other hives and use it so that if you're going to do a removal and it's going to go into a different hive, you've got a board that you know this is my pattern and it will fit inside uh, inside the other colonies. And that way you don't have to trim comb later because that's a pain, especially when it's hot um, because you're trying to cut it and it more than likely is going to rip it off the bar and then you're going to be even a bigger mess. We've got three swarms uh, this week. Max got a swarm. I've got my brother got a swarm, and mm, I got you've a, got one there at the house. I've got yeah. one there at the house. Uh, Max's is, you know, where the boat yard is up there. Well, <laughs> where all the flowers grow. Yeah, that's in the middle. Yeah, where his is. So yeah, and so uh, he told me this. He says, I need to go up there in five or six days. We need to open that box up. John says we need to uh, need to put them in an eight frame. I says okay. Well, we can put them in a ten frame too. Uh, well, there's uh, there's eight frames in that box. So I says okay. Well, whatever we need to do. Look, if we got plenty of ten frame. We got plenty of eight frame. So I think we can pull it off. <laughs> well, I think when he was asking me that, for some reason, I was thinking he was talking about your double nukes. No, these here are. It's one of the he cuts them, and then it's made that you can put you can stack them in there. Yeah, he made these, but there are four frames on top and there's four frames on the bottom, and it's what it is. It's basically a eight frame medium, but it's turned on its side, and you stick you set the frames in there. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the tall, narrow swarm traps that he he builds from scratch, yeah. Um, but uh, when he was originally telling me that, I, I was not picturing the swarm trap. I was picturing the double nukes that we did the splits into, and then you guys stacked on top. So you've actually got eight frames, but it's four on bottom and four on top. And I was saying that's going to be a pain in the butt to manage because you can't open up just one side. When you take that box off the top, the whole colony is open. On both sides, you know, and so you're not just managing one colony at that point and the bees can intermix and, and fight and whatnot. So I was saying you need to go ahead and put those into eight frame boxes and then set the boxes back to back so that their fronts are still facing out the same directions that they were for the, the double nuke. And then the bees will be able to come back into them and, and you'll be good to go. On the swarm traps, though, it kind of goes back to what I was just saying about the removal. If you're going to put the swarm trap in a regular box, then the best thing to do is to set that regular box up where you want the bees to permanently be, go out there the night before and close up your swarm trap, and then move it to the new place, 
and install them into that box. Because if you if you just take the box to the swarm trap, install the bees in that box, well, they're still oriented on that location. And you still now have 12 other steps you're going to have to do to try to move them at some point. You know, they're just going to be a hive that's at that spot. So your swarm trap should close up, come down, relocate to the new permanent location where you've got your hive already set up. And then when you open it for the first time, the bees are going to fly out right there. They're going to be like, where are we? We're, they're going to start orienting on that space. And you're moving all of the frames over into the eight frame box. Then you just put the inner cover lid on it and you walk away and, you know, shake them all. Anybody that's still in the swarm trap out, shake them out there in the front. And then they're going to orient on that new hive and that new location and you're done. And then there's no other steps that need to be done otherwise. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be a... Uh, we, we got two nukes. We got those double frills, double nukes. We got to redo here pretty quick. And then we got three. I did one swarm trap already. I got another one. I got a mine. I got to pull down. It's sitting up high. So I get Max to help me get that and down and then his. So yeah, we're going to have all kinds of stuff going on, but that's how it goes. <laughs> oh, well, yep, that's, that's how, how it goes. goes. Yep. That's uh, that's the life life of that's the life of beekeeping and trying to catch swarms. Yeah, freebies, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, right. The big exclamation quote or ex the uh, giant air quotes around freebies. <laughs> All right, well, we'll go ahead. We'll wrap this one up. I've got stuff I need to get done this, today. I got consultations that are waiting on me this morning, and uh, we, I'm, you know, you got your drive home, and Shannon's like, it's only my infinite day in the studio <laughs> so we'll uh we'll wrap this one up and uh, let y'all get back with your week and hopefully you guys have a great weekend coming up and we will talk with you again on monday actually you'll have another new episode out on monday so we'll chat with you then have a great day and be good be safe and y'all be healthy family this hive jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you and we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.